Welcome to Union Chapel this morning. If you're joining us online, we're thrilled that you've uh, chosen to be with us. Welcome. Glad to have you. Uh, as Spencer mentioned, we've got invitation cards to the party in the parking lot, the PIP. And of course, if we have inclement weather, we move the party inside into the what we call the gym here. And so it's the PIG. So if there's rain, then we have the PIG. Either way, it's a great time, and you don't want to miss. So invite your friends. We love to have new people on our campus. It's just good for everyone. Lots of fun. I want to pick up where we left off last week. We talked about the full armor of God. If you were here, you'll recall. And today I want to go back to Ephesians chapter 6. Today's message entitled, The Good Fight of Faith. Here's a question as we start. How do you differentiate between a good fight and a bad fight? How do you know the difference? A good fight versus a bad fight. There's an easy answer if you just think it through for a second. No one? If you win, it's a good fight. If you lose, it's a bad fight. You know, if you're coming home from school, you get rolled and you get beat up. You get home, you go, man, that was a bad fight. I got beat up. Or if you come home and, you, and you've won the fight, that's a good fight. Today's message is the good fight. Of faith, implying that this is a fight that we're going to win. Amen? So hang, hang on to that. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 6. I'm going to read verses 10 to 13 for us. Again, this is the Apostle Paul addressing the church at Ephesus. And it's, it's powerful, powerful insight, the tools of the full armor of God. Our custom is to stand to hear God's word. Thanks for doing that as you're able. Paul writes, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything, to stand. And may God inspire us and encourage us through his word. You may be seated. Thanks so much. Let me just summarize as we begin. Simply this. The Christian life is not a cakewalk. It's a conflict. If someone told you that being a Christian was easy, they were either naive or they were lying to you. It's not, not a playground it's a battleground. The question isn't whether we're going to be in a spiritual war. The question is whether or not we're going to win or lose the spiritual war. Are we going to advance or are we going to retreat? Are we going to gain ground or are we going to lose ground? In this particular battle that I'm describing, this spiritual battle, you cannot choose to be a pacifist. You can't choose to be neutral. You cannot choose to engage. You're engaged if you are a follower of Jesus. The day you decided to follow Jesus and give your life to Christ and submit your life to him, when you turn from darkness to light, from Satan to God, that was the day the devil declared war on you. And that was the day, whether you realize it or not, that you also joined the forces of Almighty God for good in the world. It's part of the deal. Let me make this first point. I'll put it on the screen. Satan has definitely declared war on you. 
Satan had you before you became a Christian, and he was happy with that arrangement. The God of the world, this world, the devil, the Bible teaches us in 2 Corinthians 4, the God of this world has blinded the eyes of those who unbelieve. It also says in 2 Timothy 2, the Bible indicates that we were taken captive to do the will of the devil. Very serious stuff. So when you came to faith, it was deeply distressing to the devil. And he's going to do everything in his power to try to mess up your life. Listen to this statement. Someone said, conversion has made our hearts a battlefield. Coming to faith, conversion to Christ has made our hearts a battlefield. That's pretty close, isn't it? That is pretty true. Anyone who chooses to be on the side of the Lord Jesus Christ will face severe opposition from Satan and his followers. Now, you may, you, may be, you may be in the room right now or listening online going, Pastor Greg, what are you talking about? What, are you trying to scare us? Are you trying to alert us? What, what, what is happening here? I mean, I'm just, you know, I'm just trying to get to Father's Day next week you know, and, and July 4th. This is a summer sermon, and I assume people who show up to church on, in the summer in, in the middle of June are serious about their faith. And so I'm talking about serious things to serious people. So that's my motivation for all of this. Some of you uh, have been in school during the COVID years. You've missed some stuff. Maybe you've uh, missed some stuff in history. And so let me give you a brief history lesson to kind of illustrate my point. I want to go all the way back to the middle of the 20th century, the late 1930s through the middle 1940s. This was a period of time of great upheaval in the world. And World War II was fought at that time as a massive global conflict. Now, you, if you're younger in the room right now, you're still taking tests in history, you should listen to me for the next few minutes because I'm going to help you pass your test. So just, just watch this. Think of how different the world would be if the United States had not entered the Second World War. Hitler was on the march. You may recall Poland, France, Belgium, Great Britain um, was in his sights. The United States did enter the Second World War and we can conclude very easily that the world is a better place because of it. Now, war, war is a horrible evil. War should be avoided by all means. Nevertheless, sometimes you have to fight. World War II is a perfect example of this. We learned after we got into the war of the horrible evils that Hitler was conducting we know the atrocities, some of the plans he had. You know, the final solution implied the eradication of the entire race of Jews in the world. Terrible evil loose in the world. So what we know and now realize about World War II is that it was a just war. It was a just cause. You could even call it a God-honoring reason to fight. Now, this isn't a commentary on just war theory. That could be left for another time. I'm only pointing out, and here's the point I want to make, that from time to time, when particular circumstances present themselves, you have to fight. You have to fight. There is no other choice. Now, you may be a person in the room, you're not inclined to fight. You're a genuine peacemaker. You hate conflict. You might even describe yourself as a pacifist. Uh, I've heard... Reasonable people try to 
argue that Jesus was a pacifist. That is, that you would never lift a hand, lift a finger to harm another human being for any reason. A, a total pacifist. Well, maybe that's your worldview. On the other hand, there are people who like to fight. They look for opportunities to fight. They look forward to fighting. They seem to thrive on arguments and conflict. You know, they like a good scrap. And there are people like that in the world. Um, I heard the story of a man who was with a group of friends, and they went out to socialize, and there was an argument that ensued. And these men were kind of, you know, bellied up toward one another, you know, bowed up, looking for trouble. And one stranger said to this man's friend, who was former military and special forces kind of training, and wasn't necessarily a, a very large man physically, but he w- was a guy who had had fight in him. And so when the conflict arose, a man got in the face of this former military person and said, by the way, who are you? Where are you from? And who are you? And the man's response was, I'm from right here and right now, which is a pretty good way to get it started. If you're ready to fight, good response. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not that guy. That's not the way I'm wired. Uh, I uh, have told you some of the stories I, I have from my, my athletic career in the past. Back in the day when I was playing, you know, they didn't have like zero tolerance. You know, if you fight in school right now, you get suspended. I mean, there's zero tolerance. We will not have fighting. And the same thing is true on the athletic field or court. You, it's zero tolerance. You know, you can't leave the bench. If you throw a punch, you know, it's going to cost you, that sort of thing. Back in my day, none of those rules were in place. And so frankly, I have a handful of stories I could share with you sometime privately about moments when the fight broke out. And I can tell you how I reacted to all that. So I'm the guy who prefers not to fight, but I have discovered that if the occasion presents itself, I'm willing. So that's kind of how I go through the world. It's interesting that the Bible often uses metaphors of battle and conflict and struggle to actually describe the Christian life. For example, we learn in 2 Timothy chapter 3, it says, be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Interesting. Also in 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul says, endure hardship as a good soldier. If you look on the screen, it's 2 Timothy 4. Paul says to Timothy, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Beautiful promise there, right? But there's also the implication of a fight in the meantime. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 6. Fight the good fight of faith. There's the phrase for our title today, the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So in today's world, as Christian people, I want to submit to us that we have to stand up and fight. We have to fight. We have to push back. We have to resist. And we have to ask, why? Why do we need to fight? Because the church of Jesus Christ is under attack. I would would evaluate that it's more under attack in our culture today than any time in my lifetime. The church is under attack around the world. The church is under attack in America. Christians are being summarily mocked and marginalized and dismissed. 
In many parts of the world, our brothers and sisters in Christ are being martyred for their faith. It's, uh, it's not an easy or safe time to be a Christian in our world. Now, having said all of that, that could discourage or depress someone, I want to share good news with you. Remember, this is the good fight of faith. And the good news is we will be victorious in the end. We are heading to an ultimate victory, and God is going to secure it for us. Let me just remind you that communism is not going to win. Socialism is not going to win. Islam is not going to win. Secularism is not going to win. The gospel is going to win, and the kingdom of God is going to prevail. And so we can take that to the bank, be encouraged by that. Now, we may lose a battle or two along the way, but we are going to win this war. Jesus said to his disciples, Matthew 16, he said, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, will not overcome it. So Jesus has promised that nothing or no one will prevail against the church. Now, let me just qualify what I've been saying. I'm not talking about a militant Christianity where we force our will on others, you know, forcing conversions on populations of people or else. That's not the spirit of it at all. I'm talking about taking a loving posture. Listen to me. A loving posture in the midst of a wicked and perverse generation preaching the truth in love. Let me say it a different way. I'm talking about living by conviction with a bold and articulate faith always motivated by love. Is it possible to be, to, to be bold and loving at the same time? Yes. Is it possible to hold strong convictions and values about life and faith and be loving? The answer is, of course, yes. The, this is actually a good definition of Jesus. <laughs> we want to be like him. So I'm referring to a confidence in God's word, a courage to believe and practice the truth contained therein, and the loving conviction to stand close to the cultural fires, because there's, there's fires burning very close to us all the time, cultural fires, and the willingness to to take a stand, believe well, love authentically, and pluck as many people from destruction as possible. Pluck them from the burning. Pluck them out of the fire. This is why we exist. This is why we're here. This is the mission of the church. So in the midst of an eroding culture, we must take our positions, being willing to absorb the blows in order that people might find the one and only hope for dying humanity, which is the magnificent love of God that has been offered to us through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. This is the gospel, and we are not ashamed of it, so we will take our stand. It's pretty good preaching, isn't it? Yeah. Some, someone has to remind the world about the way. Because the world is, isn't going according to the way. Wait, that's not the way. That's not the way. There is a way that God has orchestrated for us. He's made a way. This is the way. And so someone has to, someone has to say it. Someone has to live it. We must remind a confused, contentious generation of God's best plans in relationships and in marriage and in human sexuality and identity. We must be willing to teach the things that God is gloriously for. In these categories, we must point people to the way that leads to fulfillment and life. Okay, kids, back to the history lesson. Back to World War II. The Axis forces, there were, there were the good guys in World War II and the bad guys. 
the good guys were the allied forces. This is the United States, Canada, France, you know, and, and Great Britain, other Western countries, and Western European countries. And then there were the Axis powers. These were the bad guys comprised basically of Japan and Italy and Germany. So these are the Axis powers. The Axis forces, the bad guys, Germany, Italy, Japan, they were threatening the world. America, while, while the Axis powers were threatening the world, America was reluctant to get in the war. You, if, if you'll recall, America had lots of voices in our culture saying we shouldn't be involved in that war in Europe. You know, that's their problem, it's not our problem. And, and so there was this reluctance to get involved. Winston Churchill, the prime minister of Great Britain at the time, made several trips to the United States to try to convince our president, um, FDR, um, to come into the war. And only until Japan attacked our naval base in Hawaii at Pearl Harbor did America then realize we've got to get in this, this war. You know, we have no choice now. We've been attacked, blatantly attacked ferociously attacked, and we, so, so we're in. At the end of that attack from Japan, a Japanese admiral, Yamamoto, famously said, we now have this recorded in history, after Japan had attacked the United States, he said, I fear all we have done is awaken a sleeping giant and filled him with a terrible resolve. Well, he was actually right, because as America and our industrial, our industrial power in, invested in the war, then that shifted, shifted the balance of power in that conflict. Let me put this statement on the screen for you now, if we can make the illustration. Could it be that the church of Jesus Christ is a sleeping giant in the world? Is it possible? I, I would say this, it's certainly possible in the West. It's certainly possible in the, in the United States. There are reasonable, God-fearing people now asking the question, should we stop sending missionaries from the United States to other unreached parts of the world? And the reason they're asking the question very thoughtfully is, what kind of thing are we going to export from people in the United States, even Christians in the United States, if we export what we do and how we practice the faith in the United States to some unreached people, is that going to actually be redemptive? That's a very sobering, sad kind of commentary, isn't it? I wonder, though, how much of, how much of the church in, in the United States is asleep? I want to submit to you that there's a lot of people in a deep spiritual slumber right now who if you, if you ask them, are, they, are you are a Christian? They say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. But there's like this dull COVID stupor that people are still in. And people are, are, have, have been kowtowed and they've, and they've been intimidated and Christians have been pushed to the margins and, and outcast and impugned for our position. And as a result of that, we realize that it's not easy to speak up. It's not easy to take a stand. It's not easy to express your conviction. It's not easy to be bold about your, your, your faith in Jesus Christ. And so people, people hesitate and, and, they, be, and they, become, they become more cautious. I submit that it's time for us to put on the full armor of God and enjoin the battle that's raging all around us. It's time to fight the good fight of faith. Amen. That's where the amen goes. Now back to, a, back to our passage in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, finally be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Love that. Isn't that a great turn of phrase? Strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. 
struggles not against flesh and blood, against rulers, authorities, powers, dark world, spiritual forces of evil, heavenly realms. Therefore, it's a spiritual battle, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything, to stand. Remember last week we talked about the full armor of God? There are two Greek verbs that describe these six parts of the armor of God. Uh, The verbs are translated put on, and then the other is to take or take up, implying perhaps that the, the first three parts of the armor are something you should put on and leave on. You know, you should never take it off. Those three things is the belt of truth, gird your loins with truth, put on the breastplate of righteousness, you know what, what's right and wrong. You want to you understand right and wrong all the time and shod your feet with the gospel of peace so that peace becomes the arbiter of your life. Uh, let the peace of God rule and reign in your heart so that no matter your circumstances, no matter what happens in your life, you have peace, even peace that passes understanding. No reason to be at peace, but God has given me peace. So these three things, truth, righteousness, and peace, you put on, you keep on. The other three are as needed. Maybe the devil's tormenting your thoughts, causing you confusion in your mind. The temptation is happening there. So you put on the helmet of salvation to resist temptation and receive the mind of Christ. Think the thoughts of Jesus. I have the helmet of salvation. I take the shield of faith. I exercise my faith and simply extinguish the fiery missiles, the darts of the enemy. I know I'm under attack. I can feel it in my relationships. I can feel it in my work. I can feel it in my ministry. The devil's attacking. So you lift up the shield of faith. I have trust in God. No matter what, he will sustain me. And I take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, this offensive weapon. That's what I'm doing right now. I have the full armor of God on. I got this sword and I'm just wielding it. So put on the full armor of God. By the way, we always need to keep our guard up. How many of you discovered with me that the devil doesn't take a day off? Not a day. Not a week. Never goes on vacation. The thief comes only but for to steal and kill and destroy. His mission is a a mission of destruction. He wants you ruined. He wants wants you defeated. He wants you... Knocked, knocked off the way. He, 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 want, he doesn't want you standing in the full authority of your spiritual authority in Jesus with the full armor of God. He wants you to turn tail and run. He wants you to give up. He wants you to give in. He, want, he wants you to flinch. When the opportunity for you to stand up for Jesus comes and you fail to do so, he wins. Happens every day, doesn't it? Happens every day. And we see our brothers and sisters failing. So we need to keep our guard up so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. Stand your ground. I have a, what people think is a humorous story from my youth. I'm not sure it's as funny as everyone thinks it is, but we had a big open lot between our parents' house and our grandparents' house. This was where all the kids got together. My hometown, Boswell, Indiana, had about 1,000 people a very small town, 30, 35 miles from anywhere. And, and so we were like living on an island in this small town. 
And uh, our side lot was where everybody assembled for the football game or the baseball game. It was one summer. We were playing a baseball game. And right behind our house was a row of trees and then an alley. And then some of my other friends lived across the alley. So our backyards were back to back. And Mike Nunley was one of my neighbors just across the alley. And Mike Nunley had a dog that was a, was a, a mean-spirited, red zone, out-of-control, crazy dog. They had to keep it chained 24 hours a day. I mean, it, it, was, it was a menace. And the, the dog would literally bite the hand that, that fed it. Mike and his younger brother, Terry, would have to tag team to feed this dog. They had a dog house in the backyard, about a 20-foot chain, and the dog uh, wore a path at the end of the chain. You've seen this in the yard where at the end of the chain where the dog just lives on the end of the chain. He's try- he wants to get at people. And they would literally have to distract the dog by going to the end of the, of the worn-out piece and get the dog to come out there to, 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 to attack or bite if they could. While the other guy, the other brother, would take the plate of food, the bowl of food, and slide it inside of the, <laughs> the barrier, the boundary near the house, the dog house. And so it took two guys because you, could, you, you couldn't carry a, a, a bowl of food out and set it next to this dog. The dog would bite you. Crazy dog. Dog was constantly barking, constantly. This, this was a stupid mutt dog, um, 35 or 40 pounds, and it would kill you. It would eat you. And so all of the kids in the neighborhood knew the rules of this dog. The two rules that Mike Nunley preached regularly because he was afraid of his own dog what is wrong with this picture? He's terrorized of his own dog. And, and so he said, there are two things you can do. If the dog gets loose, if you can't get in the house, then you have to climb a tree. So get in the house or climb a tree. Dog can't climb a tree. He cannot run you. He will eat you. The other thing he said you can do as an absolute last resort, if you don't have any other choice, is if you stand perfectly still, this confuses the dog and he won't eat you. We had to take Mike Nunley's word for this. But he, we assumed he knew what he was talking about. We're playing this baseball game in the open lot one day. The dog is right across the alley barking, barking, barking all the time. It never shut up when there was people in the... And and the only time we got nervous is when the dog wasn't barking because it was up to something then. And oftentimes that meant he had broken the chain and he was on his way. And so my sister Kristen was on third base out in the field, and I was in second base, and Mike Nunley was at the plate. Our team was up to bat. And suddenly, you know, we just, you know, there's eight or ten of us kids, and we just all at the same time realized the dog's not barking. <laughs> and then we, then we paused, and sure enough, we looked across there, and here comes the dog. The, only, the dog wasn't barking. All we could hear was the chain going, chinkity, 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 chinkity. The dog's charging toward us. And Nunley, the owner of the dog, he goes, run, just like that. And he realizes he doesn't have time to run into the garage or or get away. So he shimmies up a tree. So Nunley is in a tree. The kids are scattering. And my sister Kristen and I, we were stranded. We didn't have time. The dog was there. And my sister Christy standing on third base, she's just like this. You know, she's trembling. She's got a little tear coming down her eye because she, she knows she's about to be eaten by this dog. And, 
And Nunley from the tree, this is the owner of the dog. Don't move. Just like that. I can still hear him. It's 60 years ago. Don't move, Christy. She's just trembling a little bit. And the dog runs up menacing, growling, snarling, you know, ready to take a bite. And, and, and standing still did confuse this dog. The dog stopped and looked at her and sniffed around a little bit. And then it saw me. I was the only other guy out there. He comes racing up to me, and I'm standing at second base. You know, I got my Chuck Taylor canvas tennis shoes on. They're, like, new. And I got my socks shorts on, about nine, nine or ten years old. I'm just standing there. I was stiff as a post. I wasn't going to give this dog a, a chance. Dog comes up. He's sniffing around. He's snarling. He's, he's menacing. And then the dog kind of stepped back, and he tilted his head like this, like, I'm not sure what's going on here. Then the dog walks over to me raised his leg and peed all over my leg. I can still feel the warm going down my leg into my sock, into my Chuck Taylors. Nunley thought it was hilarious. Everybody's laughing. Wow, it's so funny. If Mike Nunley walked in this room right now, he'd point to me and go, remember when my dog all over your leg? It's hilarious. Funny. You thought it was funny, didn't you? I'm not sure to this day how funny it was. Someone said, what did you do when that dog peed on you? Like, you know, I know what I would have done with that dog. <laughs> I'll tell you what I did. I didn't move. I just stood right there. I don't want to be, I don't want to be eaten by this dog. On an earlier occasion, Mike Nunley and I thought it would be kind of fun to, to punk his little brother, Terry, so when it come feeding, came feeding time, we had gone out earlier and Mike distracted the dog while I pushed the doghouse about three feet out further into the yard so that now the boundary wasn't where it was worn out on the grass. The boundary was about three feet further out in the grass. And so, so we, we, <laughs> we told Terry to go out and distract the dog while we moved the bowl. And so Terry went out there. He's about six years old, something like that. And he went out there and, you know, walked right up to the edge of the, where the, he didn't know the dog had three more feet of chain to work with that day. And it was quite a moment. Um, now you can't blame, you said, that's horrible, that's evil. That was before I knew Jesus. You can't really <laughs> judge, you can't judge us for blowing up Terry Nunley that way. It was just a joke. <laughs> terrible. I can't believe the pastor did that. It's horrible. The pastor had the devil in him that day. Let me tell you something about this story. You take a stand for Jesus, you're going to get soiled. You're going to get damaged. You're going to be mistreated. You're going to be misunderstood. You take a stand for Jesus. There are consequences. In today's culture, you get judged, you get rejected, get canceled. Taking a stand for Jesus. But let me tell you what the option 
that we can't take. We can't run. We can't, we can't give up. We can't stop. We can't give in. We take our stand. That's what we do. And having done everything to stand, stand therefore. Having gird your loins with truth, put on the breastplate of righteousness, shod your feet with the gospel of peace, taking up the shield of faith, putting on the helmet of salvation, and lifting up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You don't always have to be aggressively posturing, moving forward. Sometime in life, in the Christian life, all you can do is just stand. Just stand there. Don't flinch. Don't move. Don't retreat. Don't give in. Don't give up. Just take your stand and stand there and watch the mighty power of God, strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, and he will see you through. That's how it works. That's how it goes. Let me just put this on the screen too. The devil is not God's equal. I want to clear up any confusion you might have about this. Only God is omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent. The devil does not have these powers. There is an implication in today's gaming world and, and Hollywood movie world, uh, you know, may the force be with you, that, there's, that, that the, the force out in the world is a dark force and a light force, and there's just two sides of the same coin. No. No, no. That is not reality in the, in the world, in the universe. It's not two sides of the same force. At the final judgment, what we know will happen is Almighty God will vanquish all of his enemies, including the devil and all of his cohorts, including all of, of, of these entities. The devil is more powerful than any person. He's more powerful than you and me. But he has limitations. For example, he can only be in one place at one time. He has limited power. He has limitations in what he, what he knows. So when it says we, we fight against rulers and authorities and powers of this dark world and spiritual forces of evil, the first phrase of that verse in Ephesians 6 is for our struggle. When we hear the word in English, struggle, you know, we think about arm wrestling or something like that. It's more than that. It actually has a mortal implication, mortal combat. It's a struggle, if you will, to the death. The stakes are really sky high. In Roman times, in the Roman world, wrestling matches often were to the death. So it was really easy to see who won a particular wrestling match because the winner was still alive. So let me just say again, this is serious business. Very serious business. And that devil is not God's equal in it. Let me just offer this insight too. Put it on the screen. There are weapons at our disposal. Let me tell you two of them. One of them is prayer. Listen to your pastor. I don't know what you're facing today. Maybe a financial challenge, a medical crisis, marital conflict, prodigal child, maybe a threat against your business. I don't know what your problem is, but I do know that God is greater than your problem. He's bigger than your problem. This is the strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. So you can pray. America is going the wrong way. We need to change our course. We need to turn back to God. We need to make a 180. We need to pray for America. And specifically, let me just give you two phrases. We should pray for spiritual revival, and we should pray especially for a great awakening. Use that phrase, great awakening. Church is asleep. Time to wake up. 
We need a great awakening, a spiritual awakening, so we can pray, and we should. And the second thing we can do is we can preach the gospel. You say, well, that, that's your job. No, no. Everyone who knows Jesus is called to preach. Everyone's called to preach the gospel. Everyone can give a good word of witness for the redemptive grace of God in your life. You have a story to tell, tell your story. You should have a bold, confident witness for Jesus Christ. You should be able to tell your story. This is my life before I found Christ. This is how I met Jesus. This is my life after I met Jesus. You can, you can tell that story to anyone. And it's time to wake up, take your stand, and not equivocate, and not compromise, and not back down when someone points their finger at you and accuses you of being angry or hateful or bigoted or whatever the language is. Time to preach the gospel. This is why we're investing so much intentionally as a church, so strategically in the most effective means of reaching people for Jesus, which is planting new churches. You know that we have been planting churches now for a number of years. We've, we've made the decision in the last couple of months that we are no longer going to attempt to do all of our church planting initiatives going into the future out of Union Chapel alone. And so what we're attempting to do right now and, and accomplishing as we do it is we're, we're, we're creating an entire new corporate entity, a nonprofit corporate entity uh, through which all of our church planning initiatives will take place. It'll be a separate 501c3 nonprofit status company with its own bylaws and board of directors. It will be independent from Union Chapel, and we believe as we build it well that it will be structured so that it has sustainability into the future. We're believing that hundreds and even thousands of churches will be planted out of this network. Uh, about six weeks ago, we were trying to come up with a name for the network. And, you know, that's a difficult thing, you know, brainstorming like that. And, and I had had a conversation on a Zoom with some of our friends in Central Asia that same morning. And one of, one of our leaders there, she told me the story about a man that they had just befriended, that he was probably going to be useful to them and their team in that particular city. And she concluded her remarks about this man by characterizing him. And this is what she said, and I quote, he's one of those guys willing to leave the ninety-nine. I said, say that again. I've never heard anyone described that way. She said, he's, he's one of those guys, he gives you the impression that he's willing to leave the 99. Well, some of you understand that reference. This comes from Luke's gospel, chapter 15. Jesus is teaching there, and he's talking about how important it is that we care about lost people. In fact, he describes himself in that whole context as saying, this is the reason the Son of Man has come to the earth, to seek and to save that which is lost. This is why Jesus showed up on the earth, to seek and to save the lost. As it turns out, he didn't show up on the earth just to bless you and to make me happy. He showed up to seek and to save that which is lost. And then he tells these three examples. He said, for example, a woman had a lost coin, very precious to her, and she turns her whole house upside down trying to find this one lost coin. Because the lost things are important. He talks about a lost son, the prodigal son, who got away from his father and was lost, but then he came home and was restored to the father and great celebration resulted. And then he told the story about a man. He asked the question. He said, what man who has a hundred sheep won't leave the 99 in order to find the one that is lost? And so, and so we know the context there, and we were talking later that day on another Zoom with the leadership of the church planning network. 
what are we going to call this thing? And I rehearsed that story and I said, we can't call it, you know, willing to leave the 99 to find the one that's lost network. That's too much. One of the young guys said, this is easy. We'll just call it the 99 network. And then the sub line will be to find the one that's lost. And And it seemed good to us. It seemed right to us. And so last month in Phoenix, Arizona, when we hosted a church planting conference there with all of our church planters, we announced the formation of the 99 Network. You can go online right now, 99 Network, the number's 99, and then the letter's network, 99network.org, 99network.org, and you can see the early foundations of this organization that we're putting together. We are believing that God is going to leave a legacy through this network where hundreds and thousands of churches are going to be planted and God only knows the number of people will be entered into the kingdom of God because of it. Isn't that that cool? That's really great. (laughs) Primary weapons, we can pray and we can preach. And that's what we do. Last point, I'll let you go. It's time for us to wake up. Time to wake up. Now, I know I'm not talking to everyone because, as far as I can tell, most of the people in our church are already awake. I mean, what we're going to do next uh, week after next at Serve is an indication that lots of people are awake. Biggest numbers of people involved in Serve in history. It's going to be something. Look at Romans chapter 13, verse 11. And do this. Understanding the present time, the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber. Because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Remember old Job from the Old Testament? Let me tell you about Job. Job was a righteous man. This is how he's described. He's a righteous man. And the devil goes to God and says, you know, you don't have too many righteous people in the world right now. You know, not many people, you know, honoring and revering you. And God said, I know one guy. His name is Job. He's a righteous man. And the devil says to God, you know, if, if, I, if I put a certain amount of burden on old Job, I bet you he'd turn his back on you too. And God says, I don't think he will. And so God gives the devil permission to attack Job. Now, why was Job attacked? One reason, he was righteous. Here's a way if you know you're a righteous follower, honorable follower of Jesus Christ in the world. Are you ready? This is how you know if you're under attack from the devil. If you, are not, if you are not regularly under the buffeting and irritating and destructive attack of the devil in your life, it might, means one of two things. Either you're dead or you're worthless. Worthless to God. My wife Beth and I, you know, we've been following Jesus for 50 years together, and we joke about this now. I mean, we know when the devil's buffeting us, you know, we've got to get the shield of faith up. And man, you know, i got dents in my helmet and all kinds of stuff going on because of the attack, the oppression, which happens. Sometimes it intensifies. It's there all the time, but some, some seasons it gets really, really gross, really, really intense. And we just laugh at each other. We just say, man, whatever it is we're doing, we must be on the right track because the devil wants to stop us, but we're not going to be stopped. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to learn from Job. 
devil says, I'm going to set my attention on that man or woman who's bold in her faith and fighting the good fight of faith, making a difference in the world for Jesus' sake. Those are the people that can expect the buffeting and the resistance. And that's the kind of people we want to be. So how do we respond? Therefore, therefore, put on the full armor of God. Gird your loins with truth. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Shod your your feet with the peace of God. Lift up the shield of faith. Put on the helmet of salvation. And take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of Almighty God. Did you get it? Have you gotten it? This is the way. This is the way. You know, sometimes... Sometimes in life, you can't, you can't move forward. It's too much. It's too hard. It's, you're too weakened by this or that. Sometimes in life, you can't really, can't really swing a sword. You just, there's not enough strength left to do it. Sometimes in the Christian life, all you can do is stand. If you can just find your place and take a stand right there, say, God help me, here I stand. Having done everything to stand, stand therefore. And in due time, because of the mighty, the mighty power of God, he'll restore your life, energize your faith, help you to move forward, taking more ground for Jesus' sake. But the one option is not, is not okay, is to give up, to back up, to sit down, to turn around, to run. That's when... That's when you're most vulnerable. And so we take our stand. Amen. God bless you as you receive the grace you need for these things in these days. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the grace that you extend to us, grace sufficient. Thank you for your word, which lamps our feet and lights our path. Give us each one the courage we need to take the stand that is honorable to you, most pleasing to you in this, in this hour of time, this season the culture in which we live. And Lord, help us to lift up the name of Jesus. Let the light shine, we pray. Make Jesus more famous and more followed. Do, do your work. Make a name for yourself, we pray, through our lives. We ask in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Would you stand with us?